Isn't that great? I actually find myself in my old age, um, the first few times I saw that, getting emotional because it just, that idea of kids, you know, or adults uh, being so overwhelmed by what they've just received that they just uh, lose all senses. And I know that uh, with tomorrow being the day, some of you uh, may have that perfect gift um, that you're anticipating giving or maybe receiving and um, just, just losing it like that in the video. So this is an exciting time. We're actually uh, going to talk tonight uh, from the book of Matthew. And uh, this is where the tradition of gift-giving got started with Christmas. It was the Magi, or better known as the Three Wise Men, uh, giving gifts to Jesus. And that's where we get our tradition from. I know that because I looked it up on Wikipedia. Um, and just so you know, as we launch this, feel free to fire up the iPhones or the iPads or whatever to keep your kids entertained. It ain't going to bother me to hear Angry Birds going. So, and you know what, if you need that as an adult, that's fine too. I know that <laughs> whatever it takes to get through one of these. Um, <coughs> so, we've been walking through the book of Matthew throughout the fall. And we've said that Matthew is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are biographies of Jesus written by eyewitness accounts or those very close to, um, to the, the apostles who followed Jesus everywhere. And, uh, you know, each gospel kind of has a different angle that we can appreciate. And Matthew specifically has written his gospel to a Jewish crowd. So if you really want to appreciate the nuances of the book of Matthew, it's helpful to know a little bit about, like, first century Judaism. One of the things that has stood out in Matthew's account that I really appreciate about Matthew is his story, like his personal life story, really comes through as he talks about Jesus. So Matthew um, was a guy who was pretty far from God. Uh, he was a tax collector, which people saw as like bottom of the barrel human being. Um, liars, connivers, schemers, cheaters, traitors, you know, all those kinds of things went to describe uh, the tax collector. And yet Jesus saw him and invited him to be a follower. Like he said, this guy, you know, I know the kind of life that he lives, but I would love to have you, Matthew, follow me. And it's like Matthew so uh, was moved by the grace that Jesus offered him that when he tells his story, you can see a lot of that grace that he really wants his first century crowd to understand. It's all about helping the first century Jewish person understand that Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, was the promised Messiah. And he really wants to communicate that it didn't look like what the ancient Jews may have thought. So when you look in the Old Testament of the Bible, we spent the first part of 2011 looking through the book of Leviticus. Doesn't that sound fun? And one of the things that we discovered is that God sets things up in the Old Testament, you know, 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. He really wants people to understand that he is a holy perfect God high above human beings like like he he's perfect and just and righteous and pure and holy and way up there and we're way down here because we're sinful and imperfect and and Matthew wants us to know that when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago uh, he was born as God in the flesh in other words this great and holy and powerful God became flesh and became a baby 
But what's interesting is that the first century Jews and us may have some conclusions about what it would mean for this holy God to become flesh, who he would hang around with, who he would avoid as the holy and perfect God. But the interesting thing that Matthew wants us to know is that God bends over backwards through Jesus to show us that even though we're way down here and he's way up there, he still wants to be around us. Remember in the first chapter of Matthew, we talked about the genealogy of Jesus. Kings would use genealogies to say, this is my stock. This is where I come from. This is who's in my family. And they would use it to show power. But Jesus' genealogy is filled with sin and scandal. It's like Jesus says, I know the people here and all that the messes that they're in, but I still welcome them in as a part of my family. And he was born to a couple that weren't even married and lived in Nazareth. And he asked them to enter into a scandal upon his birth, his conception, really. So God is telling us, and Matthew really wants us to know in chapter 1, that the very birth of Jesus goes far-reaching to help us understand that no matter who we are, no matter how far we may be from God, God loves us and he is approachable. But I don't think there's any story in Matthew's gospel that goes so far to tell us that we are welcomed into the presence of God, no matter who we are, like the three wise men, the Magi. Now let me start off before we actually get into the Bible and say that we pretty much have the three wise men all wrong. We don't know how many there were. Three just sounds nice. Um, We don't know their names, but Melchior, Casper, and Belshazzar looked good on paper, I guess. It's not in the Bible. Um, They were not there in the manger. You know, they're all, like, we have our manger scene set up on our piano, and the three wise men are there looking lovingly at, you know, everybody's happy. But they weren't there in the stable. That's just something that has become a part of tradition. But the Bible tells us that they weren't there. But probably the biggest deal that is misunderstood about the Magi or the three wise men is that in the, on the Christmas cards, everybody looks happy to see them. You know, It's like everybody's happy and they're there and it's all good. But a first century Jew would have seen this story that the Magi were the first to show up and worship Jesus. And they would have had to step back and say, I don't know what to do with that. Like, like what does this mean about God? What does this mean about me if the Magi were a welcomed part of the birth of Jesus? Let me give you a modern day example. Let's say that I, Alex Poindexter, create a restaurant in Cleveland called Cleveland Rocks. And it's a celebration of Cleveland sports history. Two or three things I guess we could find to celebrate. (laughs) If we look hard and long ago. Um, And let's just say 50 years from now, Cleveland Rocks is the most successful restaurant chain in the country and I'm being interviewed on 2020. Tell us about the early days of Cleveland Rocks, the restaurant that celebrates Cleveland sports. And I talk about the day that these three guys, (coughs) Art Modell, John Elway, and that other guy, um, decided 
we want to go to the opening of Cleveland Rocks. And we're going to pool our resources together and fly there and give a bunch of money to help this restaurant get started because we love Cleveland. And so they do. And they show up. And they say, we love this place. And they give money. And, and, and I would tell this story 50 years from now. And some of the world would say, oh, wow, what a wonderful thing that those athletes did. But some of you who are still around 50 years from now, if I'm still around 50 years from now, would hear that and go, what? I don't know what to do with that. Those three guys, they're giving their resources and saying that they love Cleveland? Well, that's the story of the Magi, and I think that there's a lot that we can learn from it and apply to our lives as we celebrate Christmas and as we think about our own relationship with God. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at this for a few minutes. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, three wise men, wise men, maybe three, says all that in the Greek. From, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. We're going to learn why Jerusalem was disturbed in a minute. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what, um, what the prophet has written. This is in Micah in the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now let me insert something here. Herod was like a certified sick nut of a person. I mean, like you can go back into history and see. He, he had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wanted to end this baby's life because anything that threatened Herod, he did away with. So he's lying there, but he's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to go worship him too. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This is the, the wise men. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. <coughs> Let me walk through what's going on there and, and, and talk about what it would have meant. So these magi... They are, uh, they're, they're from the east, the Bible says, and they would have been well known for what they practiced. They were sorcerers. They practiced witchcraft and astrology. Uh, they consulted mediums, consulted the dead, things like that. And they saw, through astrology, 
that a king for the Jews, the promised Messiah, was born, and they go to seek him out so that they can worship him. Now, here's why this story doesn't fit. In the Old Testament of the Bible, which every Jew in the first century, when they heard this story, when they knew that the Magi were coming, okay, they would have known the Old Testament backwards and forwards, you know, just like the back of their hand, and that's legit. God is very clear in the Old Testament that his people are not to mess with astrology, are not to consult mediums or mess with the dead. They are not to practice witchcraft, black magic, sorcery, anything like that. They are to avoid all people who do that, and it's punishable by execution. God makes it clear that he despises the practice of those things. And these are a group of people that regularly, it's like they were categorized. In fact, the word magi is where we get the word magic from. So these were all the wrong people to be present for the birth of the God who hated the things that they practiced. Yet they make the story. They are welcomed into God's story. And they go and they see Herod because they they figure that the king of the Jews right then would know something about the birth of the Messiah. They didn't know that this would be a threat to him. But what's incredible in this story is that they bring him three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you've got to put yourself in the mindset of the first century reader that hears that the Messiah has been born and three gifts were presented, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, one of the things we've been learning is that the Bible all weaves together. Unfortunately, many people believe that the Bible is a book of rules, but that simply isn't true. The Bible weaves together. The Bible contains all sorts of incredible stories and symbolism. So if we look at the three gifts that they brought him, now this is the birth of Jesus. We see the gift of gold. And if you're a first century Jew and you hear about the gift of gold, you're going to think about one place, the temple, the place of God's dwelling. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus was here on earth, it was God dwelling among us. Jesus would often refer to himself as the temple. So we see the symbolism there in their gift. The second gift, frankincense. A first century Jewish crowd that heard Matthew's story would have associated frankincense with the temple in the time of prayer because incense represented the prayers of God people. It was also associated with the high priest. And the Bible tells us that this newborn king was our high priest, that he goes to God on our behalf, that he offered himself up on our behalf. And he's all we need to connect with God. But the third gift, and this is incredible symbolism, the third gift they brought was myrrh. Myrrh was used for two things. To treat deep wounds and to embalm the dead. And one of the greatest aspects of Jesus becoming flesh is that it wasn't to be some conquering king like the early Jews may have expected, but it was to offer himself up on the cross as our sacrifice, this newborn king would be pierced and would be killed and would rise again for us 
Because the Bible says that we were very far from God. And every time that we sin, uh, you know, when, when, when we let bad moral choice enter into our life, we are cut off from God. And there's nothing we can do about it. Absolutely nothing. All the money you put into the you know, Salvation Army bucket, even if you ring the bell, okay, there is nothing you're going to do that's going to put you before God and He says, we're good. You cannot earn back what you lose through bad moral choice. But Jesus came to pay the price for us on the cross so that we don't have to spend our lives trying to gain forgiveness. He provided it for us. So let's talk about the three questions that we've been asking with Matthew. What does the text say? What does it say to us? And what are we going to do about it? One of the things that I hope you can see from the text, let's, let's, if you are far from God, and maybe right now you just look at your life and say, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm here because of my spouse. You know, it's like my Christmas gift to my spouse, because I, you know, and you would look at your life and say, yes, I'm far from God. What I hope you can see from the story of the Magi that we've been talking about is that it doesn't matter what you have in your life right now. God welcomes you to search for his son. I hear so many people say, oh man, my life is too messy to get involved with Jesus, or I need to go get some things right in my life, and then maybe someday I'll pursue God. But that's not the story of the Magi. They didn't belong there. But God welcomed them in, because none of us belong there. The story of the Magi that maybe God is telling you is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you are welcomed into the presence of God, no matter what life you've lived. And I hope you leave here thinking maybe, maybe that's true. Now there's another story, uh, another piece of this. Uh, Maybe some of you consider yourselves to be followers of Jesus and, and you know, you believe But maybe for you, you could get something from the two kinds of worshipers that are here. Because you have the Magi who know they're far from God, but are seeking Him anyway. Really. Like they're really seeking to worship Him. And then you have Herod, who is really far from God, but he's just giving lip service. Yeah, I want to worship Him, but not really. And sometimes... Maybe we look and and we say those things. Yeah, I want to do this but we allow things in our lives that hold us back and, and you know, just really down deep, and not really. And maybe this can be the year when you say, you know what, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to say I want to do it and I'm going to really do it. Now here's a third thing and this is a bit of a tangent but it's one of the things that God is really doing in my life right now. The wise men came and they offered Jesus gifts. They offered him their resources. They surrendered They're real tangible resources to God. And I want to challenge you, maybe this is the year that you would begin to offer more of your resources to God's work around you, to the things that God is doing around you. Here's what God is, 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 is kind of... I heard the other day, one billion people in the world let me, let, me, let me back up. Right now, things are in place around the world to really solve 
real problems like poverty and clean water and, and, and injustice and things like that. Like there are people on the ground getting real stuff done. Poverty has been cut in half in the past 25 years. All that needs to happen is resources need to go out. So, one billion people do not have access to clean water right now. One billion people. There are seven billion people on the earth. That's one in seven people can't get clean water. Many of them are children. And there's all kinds of sickness and dying and crime that are happening because of the clean water crisis. However, it is estimated that $20 billion would solve the problem for good. Like the people are in the right places, they just need the resources. $20 billion solves the problem for good, and we say, wow, that's, you know, we, we aren't going to take up the love offering in here today and solve that problem, right? Black Friday. <clears throat> you ready for this? $52.4 billion on Black Friday. $460 billion in holiday shopping this year alone right here. And I'm not saying that so that you feel lousy about what's around your Christmas tree, because, I mean, we got a packed Christmas tree at the Poindexter house. What I'm simply saying is the resources are out there to solve huge problems for God. We just have to find ways to create the margin to give toward that. And maybe what you walk away with tonight is seeing those wise men who weren't even on the same like, road map as the people of God. And yet they were willing to surrender their resources to Jesus. And, um, and maybe this is the year that we get better about that kind of thing. There's one final thing that I hope you take away from this. One thing, you know, what is this text saying to you? I hope you can see that the ultimate gift at Christmas was Jesus coming to us. And it's almost cliche, but man, it seems like everything that happens this season seems to fight against rallying our hearts around that truth that God really did love us and he really did send us his son to take our place.